And we can all understand why wicked people should suffer pain and grief and sorrow because they're wicked, because they're evil. They do unkind things to others. They rape and rob and kill the innocent. The drunk will mow down a whole family because of their drunken stupor. And we understand and we agree that unrighteous people should suffer the repercussions of their actions. We all are in 100% agreement with that. We would say unanimously that they do not deserve a second chance or they deserve what they're getting. If it's bad, if they've planted bad seeds, then they should reap a horrible, evil harvest. We all agree with that. We don't have any problem expressing our feelings about those who are evil. What bothers us in this world is those that are kind, those that are righteous, those that are God-fearing. Why do they have to suffer? Why do they have to go through such difficulty and pain and suffering? I mean, let me give you an example. You think about your, your dear old grandmother, someone who, of course, would not hurt a fly. And she's very charitable. She's extraordinarily neighborly. I mean, even the other kids in the neighborhood may call her mom as a term of endearment because they love her. But, you know, she is suffering from cancer. Her body is breaking down. Now, mind you, she's not an evil person. She's not a wicked person, but she's suffering wrong. She's suffering heartache, hardship. And we all... I mean, let's keep it real. We all wonder why this happens to people like that. Your dear old grandmother, your God-fearing grandfather who may be a, a reverend in, in your church, an elder, a, a man who's well-respected in the community. He, he uh, loves his family. He's a law-abiding citizen. His children adore him. He's teaching his sons how to be respectful toward young ladies how to approach the young ladies, how to how to court them, not to misuse them, not try to uh, abuse them for evil sexual purposes or whatever the case may be. Teaching his daughters how to be modest and discreet and not do anything to try to draw any attention to themselves the wrong way by some, you know, by some thug that wants to try to just use them in any way possible, most likely in a sexual way, just to put a notch on his belt. So, I mean, we got people like that, you know, walking in the, um, in the earth every day. And we wonder why do the, why do bad things have to happen to them? I mean, they don't deserve that type of treatment. That's not fair. Is it? Why, why do they end up with cancer or end up with diabetes and, or they suffer some type of uh, malady where their, their bodies are breaking down, their body simply won't listen to them. It's, the body is doing whatever it wants to do and it's the body is a curse to them and not a blessing because they can't do uh, what the rest of us are doing. We wonder why that is. And, and the only solace that I can give you is go to the, uh, the wellspring of life, the living water. And that's God and his word. All right. So I came up with some passages of scripture that I hope will maybe 
makes some sense as to why the righteous suffer. When I'm talking about those that are good, I'm not talking about necessarily good essentially, but they're in Christ. They they are followers of Jesus Christ. They are God fearing people. They're they're endeavoring to live their lives that are that are um, circumspect or lives that are giving glory to God. They're living lives of sanctification. They're living lives of holiness. And they're practicing their, their faith every single day. In other words, it's evident that these are Christian people. They're God-fearing people. It's people that love God and love their and love their neighbor. All right. So I'm always trying to try to make sense of why people or why we go through the bad things we go through when we're endeavoring to live righteously. And here are some scriptures that that have come across my mind that I wanted to share with you. And the first one that I want to travel to is in First Peter, the first chapter. So we're going to go to First Peter, chapter one. All right. Of course, we know Peter was an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was handpicked by the Lord. When you read the Gospels, you find that out. All right. So we're going to go to First Peter and go to chapter one. And we'll start with verse three and I'm going to read through verse nine. All right. It says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Listen to this. Here's the reason for the trials. So that the testing or the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is the reason for the trial. That is the reason for the testing. That is the reason for the temptations. I'll read it again. Verse 7. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here's our hope. Verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So, I mean, that's a lot that Peter has said. I mean, that's a mouthful. So, it, but he gives the reason why we as believers go through trials. Here's another one that you probably not may not be aware of. And when I read it to you, you may not like it, but it's always my job as an ambassador of Christ to declare to you the unadulterated truth. All right. Philippians chapter one, verse 29. This is Paul speaking to the church at Philippi. He says this, for it has been granted to you. Listen to this, that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. So once again, the suffering is not for no reason at all. 
You understand what I'm saying? The suffering is for the sake of Christ. Now remember, we're reciprocating the very thing that Christ did for us. He suffered and died for us. So we have to be willing to suffer and if necessary, die for him. All right. That's what a witness is. When Jesus said in the gospels that you shall be witnesses unto me, that Greek word means martyr. That means that you are willing to die for what you believe in. So this is going to separate the real Christian from the fake Christian. All right. So let's keep reading. Let's go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. I would imagine most of you know this one pretty well, but here it is. Starting with verse 2, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, my sisters as well, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Some versions, I think the King James, ver King James Version uses the word uh, patience and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing all right so once again that is the reason for trials to test our faith to cause us to be patient in the thing in which we're going through all right so we've read First Peter chapter one, James chapter one, and Philippians chapter one. I want to go now to Second Corinthians chapter twelve, and this is the issue where Paul is dealing with the thorn in the flesh because of the abundance of the revelations that he was receiving. So let's go to Second Corinthians chapter twelve, and he says. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, this is verse 9, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of God may rest upon me. Here it is. I love this. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Wow. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You get that? So, to keep Paul from becoming boastful or conceited or braggadocious, it says a messenger from Satan was given to him to harass him. Some versions will use the word torment or buffet me. And apparently this harassment, this torment that Paul was receiving was bothering him. And he asked the Lord three times to remove it. And God simply told him, no. In other words, I'm going to allow my grace to sustain you. Once Paul understood that, he's like, I'll deal with the hardship so that God's power may rest upon me. In other words, I'll drink the bitter cup, but I know God's grace is greater than the bitter cup that I'm drinking. You follow what I'm saying? So that's another reason why God will allow us to go through trials to keep, to keep us humble. To keep us humble. Sometimes we need to be spanked. All right. So 
that's another scripture. Let me go over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. All right. And this is Paul speaking to his son in the faith, Timothy. And this is what he says. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And we're going to look at verse 3. It says, share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. In other words, he's saying that as a soldier of Christ, you're going to suffer. You're going to go through hardship. And we just read that about Paul in the uh, 12th chapter, chapter of 2 Corinthians, where he said that he was being tormented by a messenger of Satan. All right. So these are the reasons. And of course, there are many more passages I could cite that we go through trials and tribulations as believers. And, and I, I want to add this. Another thing, of course, that bothers us as well, if we're honest, is that those of us who are living righteously we suffer like other people suffer physically and then those of those that we pray for they often die they don't live i mean we may pray for for them to recover from their illness whether it's cancer whether it could be it could be pneumonia it could be a cold it could be something else it could be whatever it is we pray that god will hear us and extend mercy to that person and allow them to live, yet he doesn't allow them to live. They die. And the question is, why do they die? Well, Hebrews 9.27 tells us that it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. So we all have an appointment with death. All right. And there's one more scripture. No, I'm sorry. Two more scriptures that I need to cover. And the next one I want to go to is in the Old Testament. It's in the book of Ecclesiastes. This was a book written by King Solomon, the same writer of the Song of Solomon. And then also he wrote the majority of the Proverbs that are recorded in the Bible. This is what it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And we're going to look at verses 1 and 2. He says, for everything there is a reason and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. I'll stop right there. So the part that I want to look at, he said, a time to be born and a time to die. In other words, we all have a limited amount of time on this earth. We, we are on, we're on borrowed time. Every uh, single last one of us we're on borrowed time. All right. So, we suffer sometimes. Some people suffer on a small scale. Some suffer on a maybe a mid-level scale and some suffer greatly throughout their lives. And we all have an appointment with death. So that is inevitable. All right. So we don't necessarily die because we're in sin. The wicked do. The wicked die because of their sin. We die because we have an appointment with death. But death for us is simply a gateway to eternity when we will receive our eternal reward. So, so death for the believer is actually not an enemy. 
Death for the believer is a friend. Yeah, you heard me say that right. Strange as that may sound. Because when you look at it, we have an eternal hope. So we don't have to be afraid of death. Yes, naturally speaking, we are saddened when our loved ones die because we won't see them again on this side. But when we reach the eternal side, and if they're in Christ and we're in Christ, then we will re reunite with them in glory. So we have to look at it from the eternal perspective. We have to look at it through the lens of God's eyes, through the Bible. Because we look at it just from a human perspective, we will be full of sadness, full of bitterness, and full of despair. And we don't want to do that. All right. So here's another scripture that I want to look at, two of them. Um, and then I will have to wrap up. Romans chapter 8. All right. Romans, the eighth chapter. Let's go to it. And I'll read to you what it says. Romans chapter 8. And we're going to look at verses 17 and 18. And I'm going to start with verse 16, actually. So I'm going to read three verses. Romans chapter 8, verses 16 to 18. Here we go. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer, there that word suffer again, with him in order that we may be glorified with him. Verse 18. Here it is. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. All right. That's beautiful. That's Paul speaking to the church at Rome. I'll read verse 18 again. That's the coup de grace. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So what we're going through now has no comparison, no equal to what we are going to inherit. So right now, let's, with joy, deal with the pain, deal with the anguish. It's not comfortable. I'm not saying that it is, but we have in, we have an eternal perspective. So we have to keep that in the forefront of our minds. Otherwise, we will go crazy. We'll lose it. But if we understand how it's going to end for us, that it's going to end in victory, then we don't lose heart. We don't give up hope because our hope is in Jesus Christ. If we trust in the word of God, if we believe these promises, then we can face anything with joy. Because what did Paul say? He says, for me to die is gain. Well, well let, me, let me read the whole thing. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So in other words, his whole life was wrapped up in serving the Lord, but he knows that when he goes to be with Jesus, he's graduated, he's promoted, he's reached his ultimate destination, his eternal salvation will be fully manifested at that point. And that is what we have to hold on to as believers. We can't just focus on what we see. We have to focus on not just the now, but we have to focus on the uh, the latter. All right. We have to focus on that because if we don't, we will lose heart. This is what it says here. I wasn't going to read this, but I'm going to read it now. Second Corinthians chapter four. 
All right, Second Corinthians chapter four. This is what it says. Let me see what verse I'm going to start with. Second Corinthians chapter four. Let's start with verse fourteen. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self, listen to this, this is real talk, is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. I'm gonna read that in a different version, all right? Hold on, I'm gonna read that in a different version. Let's look at it in the, um, I'm going to look at it in the Amplified. All right. Verse 16, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, we do not become discouraged, spiritless, disappointed, or afraid. Though our outer self is progressively wasting away, yet our inner self is being progressively renewed day by day. For a momentary light distress, this passing trouble is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, a fullness beyond all measure, surpassing all comparisons, a transcendent splendor and endless blessedness. Man, that's a lot. Verse 18, so we look not at the things which are seen. Don't just focus on your present circumstance, all right? So we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are unseen. Listen to this. For the things which are visible are temporal or temporary, but the things which are invisible are everlasting and imperishable. Beautiful, isn't it? I'm going to switch versions again. All right. Let's go to the uh, King James Version. I'm going to read that 18th verse. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. All right. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. All right. And with that, God bless you. I'm going to sign out. This is Brother Dale, Gospel of Repentance Ministries. I'll talk to you when I talk to you.